So we've been uh, exploring choices that we can make to have an amazing life. And we all want to have amazing lives. And so today's choice is this. Choose to live so we need God. Choose to live so we need God. Now, did you know that God does not need us? Did you know that? God does not need you. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, verse 25, it says this, Nor is he, talking about God, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He gives us life and breath. So take a couple deep breaths. Breathe in, breathe out. Are you doing it? Are you breathing in? Breathe out. Doesn't that feel good? You know how miraculous that is, what just happened? Breathing in and breathing out. We even have air to breathe because of God. When uh, we were in China, in Shenyang, the air was terrible. Like, you could taste it. It was so bad. So air, fresh air, is a gift from God. We need God even for the air that we breathe. But do you know that we don't need God for everything? What are some things we don't need God for? Ah, a few of you have these puzzled looks on your face. What, what are some things we don't need God for? What's that? Sinning. We do that all on our own. Anything else? I know that's kind of a pretty much encompasses, but get a little more specific. What do we not need God for? Go ahead, Ike. We, we don't need, no, we need God for life. Yeah, what do we not need God for? Yeah, what do we not need God for? Revenge, right? We can do that all by ourselves. Anything else? Watching TV? Okay. Hate? Yeah, good. Anybody else? Jealousy? Okay, good. So uh, all those kind of things. Um, we don't need God if we do our own thing. We don't need God to plot our own course. We don't need God to follow the temptations of this world or the philosophies of man. And as Karen said, we don't need God to sin. We can do all kinds of things without God's help, can't we? What are some things we do need God for? This is maybe is a little easier. What do we need God for? Ike? Life. What else do we need God for? Okay, to, to be able to forgive. Direction. Nick? Making good choices. Making good choices. Yeah. Karen? Grace. Anybody else? Love. Love. Right? All the fruits of the Spirit. Abundant and eternal life. The great adventure. Understanding His Word. Wisdom. Experiencing a relationship with Him. And as um, Laura said, forgiveness and cleansing of sin. So when we think of what we don't need God for, and what we need God for, which way do we want to live? 
Do we want what we get when we live so we don't need God? Or do we want what we get when we live so we need God? That's our choice. My vote, live so I need God. I want to choose that. I want to choose to live so that I need God. Hopefully that's your choice as well. That we would choose to live so we need God. Now, how do we do that? How do we live so we need God? How do we live so we need God? Last week we talked about repentance and how we must choose to practice repentance if we're going to choose to feed others spiritually. Remember that if you are here last week. So we talked about the need to get rid of sin. Quick review, 1 Peter 2, 1, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And so in this verse, Peter's telling us that we need to get rid of these sinful testimonies that corrupt our hearts and our minds so we can continue to experience God. So we get rid of sin. This is repentance, getting rid of, walking away, away from all of our sin so we can experience a deeper relationship with Jesus. And we do that through confession because we know that we can't get rid of sin in our life by ourselves. Part of repentance is the recognition that we need God to help us get rid of sin in our lives. And so we practice confession, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us or purify us of all unrighteousness. So we talked about repentance last week. And this week, I was trying to practice what I preach when it comes to repentance. And I, I, was, so I had repentance on my mind more than uh, in previous weeks. And I was reading in 2 Timothy, and I read this verse, and something jumped out to me. Something leapt off the page into my heart. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21 says this. See if you can see what I, what I felt or heard from the Lord. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, okay, that's repentance, and we do that through confession. So therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And so I read that and I thought, oh, I see a connection between repentance and being used by God. If we want to be used by God, repentance has to be part of the equation. When we get rid of sin through confession and the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit, God can use us. And I look around, all of us want to be used by God. We don't want to use God, but we want to be used by God. And so repentance positions us to be used by God. And repentance only happens when we first choose to live so we need God. There's no point in repenting if we don't want to live to need God. If we don't need God, why repent? Repentance is like exhaling. When we exhale, what happens? CO2 is pushed out of our lungs, and we make room for that good oxygen to come back in and keep us alive. 
If we exhale, but we don't inhale, well, I'll cover that in a minute. If we don't exhale in our lungs, there's no room for oxygen to come back into our lives to bring us life. Let's try something. Take a deep breath and hold it. Take a deep breath, hold it. So right now, as you're holding that breath and starting to feel like you got to exhale, your body's converting oxygen to carbon dioxide, and that has to get out. And if you never exhale, the breath you just took will be the last one you ever take. Okay, now you can exhale if you didn't already. So this is what happens when we get rid of sin in our lives. We've, if, if we don't, if we don't exhale sin, if we don't repent and get cleansed by the Holy Spirit, we eventually suffocate and die on our sin. So repentance is like exhaling. Repentance is like exhaling, and it's not a one-time thing, right? You don't breathe in and exhale once and you live forever, right? Repentance is an ongoing process in our lives. So choosing to live so we need God involves repentance, exhaling sin from our lives. Now everyone exhale. And what happens right after you exhale? You inhale. Have you ever tried to exhale and not inhale? Like, have you ever tried to get all the air out of your lungs? You just keep, don't try it right now. I tried it at home. How, how, how long could I just keep pushing air out of my lungs? And I just kept doing it and doing it until like, there was nothing left. And then I stopped. And I was so lightheaded for like 15 minutes. It took like 15 minutes for, for my lungs to like get back to normal, uh, normal amount of air in my lungs. So don't try that. If you repent, but never have an encounter with God, it's like exhaling, but never inhaling. Jesus told this story to make this point. Luke chapter 11, verse 24 through 26. Jesus said this, When the unclean spirit, bless you, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, so that's repentance, right? The unclean spirit has left the person. It's an image of repentance and cleansing of sin. So when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Jesus paints a picture of repentance with no encounter with God. This person repented, but did not have an encounter with God. They exhaled, but they did not inhale. And so Jesus goes on to say in verse 27, As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breast that which, uh, which you nursed. But he said, Blessed 
rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So if I could paraphrase that, blessed are those who repent and encounter God. Blessed are those who exhale sin and inhale Jesus and his word. So choosing to live, so we need God, means choosing to exhale sin and inhale Jesus and his word. Now, um, several years ago, I developed a serious health problem. And about four years ago, I was diagnosed with severe obstructive sleep apnea. Runs in the family. My mom has had, a, uh, has had it for, for 50 years, maybe. Uh, four of my five siblings also have it. So what happens, if you're not familiar with it, is, is uh, when a person sleeps who has this disorder, uh, the soft tissue in the back of their throat collapses and uh, blocks the airway. And so what would happen when I would sleep would be that I would fall asleep, the muscles would relax, the air tube would get shut off, the oxygen in my blood would get down to about 80, and then my brain would go, holy camoli, wake up so you can breathe, and I'd wake up. And I'd fall back asleep and over and over again. Um, when I was tested, they found that I stopped breathing more than once a minute. And so when I talked to the technician after the test, the technician said, Tim, you don't sleep at night. You fight to stay alive. And then she told me that people with severe sleep apnea are two or three times more likely to have automobile crashes you fall asleep when you're driving. Don't ask my kids any stories. And they also said the risk of heart attack, high blood pressure, heart failure, and stroke increases if you have severe obstructive sleep apnea. Thankfully, there's a treatment. I brought my treatment with me. This is my CPAP. I won't ask anybody, but I'm sure there's some people in the room that, that have one of these. So just real quick, this is my CPAP. You know, at night I turn into Darth Vader. I put the mask on. You know, I say goodnight to Betsy and put the mask on. Then, then I turn it on. Nothing happens. Oh, yeah, listen. Hear that? That's what's going on. All night long, this CPAP, it stands for continuous, uh, continuous positive air pressure. All night long, it's blowing air into my lungs to keep that airway open so I can breathe in and breathe out. Now, when they told me about this thing, I had a choice, didn't I? I could choose to live so I could breathe at night, or I could choose to live so I couldn't breathe at night. In other words, I could use, I could... I could choose to have one of these or choose not to have one of these. Tried it for one night. It was miraculous. I'm like, you can't. They gave me like a test one to measure the pressure and stuff. I'm like, you can't have it back. They're like, well, you have to give it back because we've got to read the readings. Well, how long will I get my own? It'll take a week or so. I'm like, what? No way. So I, I drove to the place the next morning. With my paperwork, I said, I need a CPAP. And they're like, oh, sure, Mr. French. And they gave me one. 
I need this thing. I need this thing every night without fail. Are we going to choose to live so we need God or choose to live so we don't need God? I am dependent for life on my CPAP. You can ask Betsy what life was like for her when I didn't have this thing. She never slept a wink either. It was horrible. I'm totally dependent on this thing at night to sleep. When we choose to live so we need God, we become what? We become dependent on Him. We are dependent on Him, but we need to choose to live that way. So as I was praying through this message, and I was thinking about this choice to live so we need God, I asked the Lord, well, what, what does life look like in a person who has chosen to live so they need God? And you know what he didn't do? He didn't say, well, just look in the mirror, Tim, that's you. He said, no, here's some things. And he, he gave me four outcomes of a person who has chosen to live so they need God. And all of them I need to grow in. So you get to hear what the Lord has said to me about where I need to grow. So the first is this, and maybe you can relate, and maybe not. Maybe you've got it all figured out. So four out, outcomes. Uh, the first one is this. When we're dependent on God, we will practice Sabbath rest. When we're dependent on God, we will practice Sabbath rest. God created Sabbath rest. We could say a lot about the Sabbath. I'm talking about Sabbath rest. I want to narrow it down. Too much to talk about about the Sabbath in one, uh, in four or five minutes. But Sabbath rest. So the fourth commandment says what? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a 24-hour period, Friday evening to Saturday evening. And the Jewish people, they would set aside that time to worship God, to fellowship with family and with their uh, not their church family, their synagogue family. And followers of Jesus who practice Sabbath in this way certainly receive blessing from God. But Jesus provided some clarification about the Sabbath, about Sabbath rest, when he said this, Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So Jesus points out that he created the Sabbath and that Sabbath rest is a time that should be set aside to worship, to focus on worshiping him and fellowshipping with family and church family so that we could encounter God and, re and be renewed for the week that's coming our way. So the intention of Sabbath rest is to draw closer to God and his people. And when we choose to live so we need God, Sabbath rest will not be a ritual that we have to practice at a certain time, but it will be a relationship with the Lord that is practiced ideally all the time. Jesus said, Come to me who labor and are heavy laden, Matthew 11, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here, here's a key question I am personally confronted with. Do I practice Sabbath rest as preparation for the challenges I face on a daily basis? Or do I say to God, I have no time to rest. There's too much to do. The world will fall apart if I don't get my work done. Uh, before the service, I was walking up the stairs and Corky was coming down the stairs and said, Tim, it looks like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. I don't know how I was walking. I guess I was like, oh, like this. I didn't feel like that, but I guess that's how I was going. And the truth is that all too often I depend on myself to get all the things done and I don't rest in Jesus and trust him to do his thing and I only have to do my thing. God's so amazing and he loves me, he loves you. You know what God is saying to me about Sabbath rest? Come, rest in me. It will be awesome. I can't wait to show you what I'm doing and what I'm inviting you into. You know what he's not saying? Tim, you're a dirty, rotten sinner who violates the fourth commandment every day. And I'm going to smoke you. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, man, I'm offering you rest. Come and rest in me. And I will show you things you can't even imagine. So an outcome of our lives, if we've chosen to live so we need God, is that we will practice Sabbath rest. We won't try and fix the entire world on our own. We'll rest in Jesus. We will exhale sin and we will inhale Sabbath rest. So that's the first outcome that I was convicted of. The second is this. When we are dependent on God, we will seek him by marinating, marinating, that's a key word, marinating in the word of God. So for all the people that cook and do that kind of thing, uh, marinate means to soak in marinade, right? And so mar what is marinade? It's food, when food is soaked in marinade, to flavor it, to soften it, or to preserve it. So for depending on God, then we will marinate in his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures breathe, breathe, out by God. God exhales his word. We get to breathe it in. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God also translated the messenger of God, so ladies, you're included, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So God breathes out his word, and we breathe in his word. And we breathe it in because it will change our lives. When I'm wearing this, oh, I am breathing in all night long, breathing in, breathing out. Before I was choking all night long, 
choking on my own body, if you will. And so we breathe in God's word. Listen to what this verse says. Do you want to make a profit? And I'm not talking about money. Do you want to make a profit? Breathe in the word of God. Do you want to be complete? Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, you complete me? Right? Well, God says, I will complete you if you marinate in my word. If you breathe in what I'm breathing out, you will be complete. Do you want to be equipped for every good work? Breathe in the word of God. We need to be soaking in God's word if we're going to have an encounter with him. If we really believe that we need God, we will marinate in his word. So I reflected on that. Do I marinate in God's word? I study it, I read it, I have devotions, but do I marinate in it? And one of the things I've always been weak at is, is memorizing scripture. But when it's in your memory... You can marinate it, and I don't have my phone in my pocket. Having, having your phone in your pocket and your Bible right there isn't the same. And so this is one thing the Lord is convicting me of. Part of marinating in God's Word is memorizing more and more of it. The third outcome is this. When we are dependent on God, we will exhibit self-control instead of world domination. Now you're thinking, well, are you talking about a, a board game? There's a word, a board game, I think, called word domination, world domination. But that's not what I'm talking about. So often when we hear the definition self-control, we think of this definition. Self-control is the act of not allowing yourself to do bad things that you want to do. For example person really wants to curse out their boss who just cursed them out. But they exhibited self-control and just smiled and said, yes, sir. That's that kind of self-control. I really want to do that bad thing, but I'll have self-control and not do it. But that's not biblical self-control. Biblical self-control is a gift from the Holy Spirit. We read about it in Galatians chapter 5. Paul lists Self-control is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And when we're dependent on God, this gift will grow in us as we grow closer to the Lord and grow stronger in our faith in Him. And that's generally when you read in the Scriptures what self-control is about. But there's another type of self-control that the Lord was speaking to me about that we exhibit when we choose to live so we need God and are dependent on Him. And this type of self-control, uh, I want to read a quote from Erwin McManus. I think he explains it. He says, A great mistake we make in life is to try and control the things we have no control over and relinquish control over the things we can affect and change. See if you can relate to this statement. I try to dominate out-of-control situations in order to control them. And in doing so, I have no energy left to control the things God has given me the ability to control. 
Can you relate to that? Or is it just me? Say it again. I try to dominate out-of-control situations in order to control them, and in doing so, I have no energy left to control the things God has given me the ability to control. I can fall into that trap. How about you? Who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? We'll never control every out-of-control situation in our lives. That's called world domination. Because as soon as you control one thing, something else is out of control. And in order to control everything, you have to control everything. When we're trying to control out-of-control situations, then we're trying to be God. He can control those situations. Remember when Jesus was walking on water and Peter's like, whoa, cool, Jesus walking on water. I'd like to do that. And Jesus invites him out of the boat and Peter gets out of the boat and he's walking on water. All right, he did that because God was doing something with the physics, didn't he? You don't walk on water. It's called gravity, right? So Jesus was doing something with gravity so Peter could walk on water. But what happened? Matthew 14, but when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. He was afraid because he could not control the situation. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, Peter, why couldn't you change gravity? That's not what he said. He said, oh, you of what? Little faith. Why did you doubt? As soon as Peter stopped depending on God and tried to depend on himself, he sank. What a great picture for us. As soon as we try and control what we can't control, we will sink. Because we're not putting our trust in Jesus. So when we choose to depend on God, we will trust Him with the out-of-control situations in our life, lives, and we will control what God has given us the power to control. And what has He given us the power to control? Our actions, our attitudes, and the words that come out of our mouths. The fourth outcome When we are dependent on God, we practice selfless service. When we're dependent on God, our focus shifts from getting life from people, from situations, to giving life to people and to situations. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 16. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus said he came to serve and not be served. And he calls us to serve, to be a servant and not to be served. While uh, Betsy and I were in China, um, uh, a bunch of you, I think 20, 28 folks, joined together one Friday night and put 600 sandwiches, uh, 600 meals together. For heaven train the next day 
and it's completely selfless service. Nobody who got one of those sandwiches have, has any idea where those sandwiches came from. There was no gain to be had. They simply did what the Lord had called them to do, to be selfless servants. When we choose to live so we need God, that's who we become. Selfless servants, breathing life into other people and other situations. So we're going to close our worship experience now by celebrating Jesus, by remembering what he did for us, by celebrating communion together. As we close, just let Jesus breathe life into you and to choose to live so that you need Jesus. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to the podcast now, and for more info, including sermon outlines, visit our website at www.kurtlandchristian.org.